And welcome to Our Jackson Home. This week I am joined by James Ross, also known as JR. He is the president and CEO of West Tennessee Healthcare. Welcome to the podcast, JR. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, so you um, are, when did you become president and CEO? You were interim for a while. Yes, so I became uh, interim in April of 2016 and became the full-time CEO May of uh, 2017. Okay, so so a couple months in here, because we're recording this in November, so you're half a year in or so, and yeah. um, it's going well, I guess. It's going great. Um, going so great. before we talk more about Western Healthcare, I'd love to talk more about you, uh, JR. So, so where are you from? Uh, and real quickly, how did you get to where you are now? So I grew up in Henderson, uh, Tennessee, a little bedroom community about 30 miles south of here Mm -hmm. and um, uh, if I actually grew up um, five miles east of Henderson in a little uh, community called Jack's Creek. Okay I've heard of Jack's Creek. And so it's well known for barbecue Mm -hmm. and um, ended up going to Chester County High School graduating from there and I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I graduated high school but I knew I wanted to do something in healthcare. Okay. So prior to graduation uh, I had been doing different things as an Eagle Scout, um, been working with the medical community, doing first aid booths and um, my scoutmaster at that time we had a, a, a medical explorer post, a co-ed medical explorer post. And so uh, as time went along, I said, well, I'm going to go to Jackson State and at least take healthcare courses or courses that would go towards some type of healthcare role. Real quickly, did you achieve Eagle Scout? Yes. I'm That's Eagle awesome. Scout. That's very hard to do. Eagle Scout. Thanks. What, what, was your, uh, what was your project? I actually built a bridge uh, over um, a gully in Chickasaw State Park. Really? Yes. Is it yes. still there today? It's still there. Still there today. Is there like a plaque? No, there's no. not a plaque. Back then we didn't do a lot of commemorative uh-huh. things or whatever. But uh, a great scoutmaster by the name of C.B. Bright um, and uh, his wife, Ann Bright, they really pushed our whole group to move on and do things to help the community. So. Graduated from high school, started Jackson State. I had completed my EMT certification at Jackson State. Gotcha. Did you spend any time in ambulances? Yes. So paid my way through college by working in the back of an ambulance at Chester County EMS. That's awesome. And continued through Jackson State. And back then, we didn't make a lot of uh, emergency calls in Henderson, Tennessee at the ambulance service. So it allowed me time to study (laughs) and a lot of the things that I was studying, um, it it gave me the opportunity to ask questions of my peers and Mm -hmm. so forth. But uh, then I moved on and went to Union. It it was the only school at that time that had a nursing program. Gotcha. Now we have nursing programs all over. Yeah, but you can throw a rock and hit a yeah, nursing program. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the only um, 
and, and believe it or not, back then, Union was a two plus two program. You could graduate from Union with an associate's degree and then go back and get your bachelor's degree. And that's, that's what I did. Started, continued to work with the ambulance service in the background mm-hmm. and started work at Jackson Madison County General Hospital in 1985 okay. as an RN, worked in surgical intensive care unit as an RN and continued to, you know, dev a little bit in the emergency room mm-hmm. and because I still had that love for the emergencies. What, what is it about the emergencies? Well, it's kind of how I grew up. Uh, being a Boy Scout, we did first aid booths at mm-hmm. health fairs, at rodeos, different things like that. Then uh, starting to work with the ambulance service, really, really enjoyed that, loved that. And that truly was the foundation mm-hmm. of my career. So I, I continue to love that even today. Yeah. I like talking to the EMS guys, the dispatchers, and the supervisors uh, for all of our EMS guys, and staying in touch with them. I still have my... EMT certification, advanced EMT certification, t- even today. So if something goes down in a board meeting, you can you can step up and. I have been known to <laughs> supply some uh, emergency care periodically, and uh, every once in a while, you know, you happen up on a wreck or whatever. I've mm-hmm. still consider myself able to aid the EMTs, yeah. paramedics that are there. So. I enjoy that. That was mm-hmm. truly foundation of of my career. So, Union University uh, nursing program. Graduated with my associates. Went back and finished uh, with my bachelor's degree. In, in nursing. In nursing. Because that wasn't always the. Because I guess the standard now is bachelor's of nursing, but it used to not always be. Everybody didn't have that, right? That's correct. That's correct. I was. You know, through life, you're always encouraged to do things, uh, or at least I have. I've been encouraged by many successful people, influential people that that made a difference in my life. So Mm -hmm. even when getting your bachelor's was not really impressed upon or Mm -hmm. whatever, uh, I was encouraged to do that. And Mm -hmm. went through that bachelor's program with some great great co-workers and uh, graduated in 1987 so 85 with my associates 87 with my bachelor's and continued to work at Jackson General I also started at a community college and ended up at Union but I was in southern Illinois so it's a it's a great path to take to save a little bit of money too it is absolutely (laughs) is Jackson State afforded me um, a, a college education at a time that that I was paying for it myself so mm-hmm. it was it definitely gave me that opportunity that I might not have had otherwise so uh, and then um, do you have family I guess is your family still live in Henderson or so my dad died in February of 85 uh, right before I graduated mm-hmm. the first time from Union and died of cancer and my mom died in 1996 mm-hmm. 
of heart disease. So I was an only child. Mm. So I've ended up somewhat at an earlier age losing my parents and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. taking on responsibilities and so forth. Learning that path of growing up. Yeah. You know. Kind of thrust upon you. Yeah. Yeah. Have a lot of cousins though. Yeah. My my dad was from a large family, eight brothers, one sister. My mom was from a large family, uh, six sisters and three brothers. So we were. I had. T- I still today have tons of cousins, but I was an only child. Mm. They had me late in life. Mm-hmm. I was the only ch- child till I was ten. And then my brother came in and ruined all of that. So, uh, but uh, it's really weird being like having a like being married and having a how owning a house and owning a yeah. business, and your brother's yeah. like a freshman in college. It's a very weird relationship. Yeah. But um, and today, uh, family. Yes, uh, married uh, to Cindy. Cindy, I met at Jackson General Hospital around 1987. Um, we were married in 1992 and um, have two daughters, uh, Ashley and Kelsey. Were they born at Jackson General? Both were born at Jackson General. So, Hospitals had a big influence on your life. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it has. So, so uh, you've, you're working in the ER department. Where, uh, when do you start getting in the, I guess, administrative side of things? So I worked a little ER, um, worked mainly in surgical intensive care, and really had great preceptors, great mentors there that really challenged me, really uh, encouraged me to dig deep in understanding, you know, the clinical components. Of, of the role that we perform and um, you know things like advanced cardiac life support pediatric advanced life support trauma life support all of those things our team really encouraged each other challenged each other that we should get those advanced level certifications so after obtaining those it was 1987 that um, I was encouraged to apply for a supervisor role Mm -hmm. and being a house supervisor, if you will, for um, all of critical care. So as a house supervisor, you get to go all of the CPR situations. You help administratively run, if you will, the critical care units. Mm -hmm. And I had just a great time doing that. Had the opportunity to work with a lot of great physicians. Um, Back then, the critical care coordinator was the person that went to all the codes, worked beside the physicians in doing CPR and resuscitation efforts. And we also went to procedure lab, special procedures lab, where we put in art lines, swan gans lines, help with bronx, Mm -hmm. things like that that were emergent, considered emergent type scenarios so at this point though you're still doing a lot of like hands-on oh yes Yes. so talk about the transition out of that because at some point i'm assuming in administrative you get out of doing hands-on patient work well you know that 
you think that, but you continue to call upon your clinical skills, you know, even today. Uh, I think that is one of the things that helps me a lot is still having that clinical background. I still keep my RN certification uh, awesome. up, up to date and do my continuing education for all of that. But um, so 87, I became the critical care clinical coordinator. Uh, somewhere around 1990, I was asked to help us start our what's known today as our Tennessee Heart and Vascular System. And uh, it became as a product line, a service line, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I was able to work with our cardiologist and our CV surgeons to get them to come together and, and start this product line of heart services. Uh, a couple of great physicians, Dr. Allison Spaulding and Dr. John Matthews, uh, they had started in the mid-80s, 82, 83. They had started doing bypass surgery mm -hmm. at Jackson General. So I was working with those guys and working with the cardiologists at, at that time to help us create a much more functional service, um, helping us you know, get our heart attack patients in the system, help them flow through the system, help them get their heart cath done in a timely fashion. And then if the patient needed to have bypass surgery, we would, um, I was able to get the cardiologist to turn that patient then over to the CV surgeons. Mm -hmm. And the CV surgeons would manage that care through the surgery and on through discharge. Um, and man, we were doing six, seven, eight hundred heart bypass surgery cases a year back then. Wow. And that was really neat to be able to do that, to scrub in in surgery, to watch the bypass cases, to uh, follow those patients after surgery, and see them ambulating in the hallways, mm -hmm. and then being able to, as technology advanced and as we got much more comfortable in doing those cases, mm -hmm. You know, used to bypass cases would stay eight, ten days in the hospital. Really? And now we've got those down to where they're in and out maybe four oh, days. Wow. Yeah. And that's just how technology mm -hmm. and medicine has progressed through the years. And and so what was the last role you were in? And I'm assuming this is kind of the trajectory you just... Well, if you talk to my wife, she would tell you that I, uh, if anyone looks at my resume, they would say I can't keep a job because <laughs> about every two to three years there for a while, I would move. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to give credit to Jim Moss. Moss allowed me a lot of opportunities to uh, step into roles that I knew nothing about but mm -hmm. learn, dig, he would always say, if you have fire in your gut, and it wasn't only about me, it was about mm -hmm. others. If you have fire in your gut, you can learn the business side yeah. of it. And really coordinating and loving on people who know it even better than you. Mm -hmm. And then being able to ask questions of why we do it this way, or have we ever considered doing it a different way? Moss was... Uh, uh, 
a great leader in that respect. And he gave me a lot of those opportunities. So let's see, I did the heart program. Then uh, I did, uh, I was the leader of our cardiac intensive care unit and was able to expand that. At that time, it was the largest cardiovascular intensive care unit in the state. We had 18-bed ICU and a six-bed at that time cardiovascular intensive care unit. And then uh, from there, I uh, set up the Tennessee Heart Center model, working under the leadership of uh, Ron Hill and myself and two others, Molly Taylor and um, another young lady. we had the three of us ran the entire heart program Mm. and I was the operations guy Molly was the financial guy and the other young lady was dealing with quality and uh, those types of things and it just it was really just amazing to see all of that come together and really grow and you know today if you fast forward to today uh, we take care of more heart attack patients than any other hospital in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when you compare us to facilities in Memphis, facilities in Nashville, East Tennessee, Chattanooga, uh, that's that's pretty darn impressive. But Excellent. it also says something about that we live in the stroke belt or. Um, the, the barbecue belt, barbecue <laughs> capital of the world. So yeah. that says something about hearts too. So I was able to do that. Uh, Moss then asked me to go run our surgery center. Uh, we had essentially two separate surgical operations going on in the surgery center. We had the ENT guys and then we had everybody else. So you had eyes, ears, nose, those types of surgeries, and then we had everybody else, and we ended up merging those two separate uh, surgical areas, separate surgery teams, and being able to pull those together created you know quite a bit of efficiencies mm-hmm. for our system. And then uh, he uh, called one day and said, we're getting into clinics buying and creating physician clinics, building physician clinics. And wait, Pleasancy Healthcare buys properties in town? <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't have guessed. I don't know. <laughs> we back in the day we bought a lot of property. Um but the, this one particular case was the East Jackson Family Medical Center. And he asked us to create that, build that uh, as, and the reason was we did some data review and a lot of the patients coming to our emergency room at that time were coming from the East Jackson zip code. Mm-hmm. And so it was very obvious that there was the need for more primary care in that area. So uh, myself and a great team of people, guys like uh, George Austin, Clifton Exum, Peggy Cease, um, uh, we all worked together as a team to come together and build, I don't know, it's like a 40,000 square foot clinic 
and recruited um, several physicians uh, to the area uh, to help provide health care for those that were in great need at mm -hmm, that time. Mm -hmm. It was also at a time that we actually lost a couple of physicians, a couple of African-American physicians that were in that in that area, East Jackson at that time. And we, uh, it was, it was really a, a clinic that met the need at the perfect time for East Jackson. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I started working. We did a management service organization and we managed clinics. We owned clinics. We purchased clinics. Um, we did the billing for clinics, uh, recruiting of physicians all throughout West Tennessee. One of the larger clinics back then was uh, MedSouth in Dyersburg and a lot of great, great physicians that were really loved that community and you know that was the, it was a far reach for us uh, to reach to Dyersburg mm -hmm. but during that time it was needed and we continue to, to this day to support Dyersburg yeah. in healthcare. So after that, um, I came back in the hospital and was doing case management, utilization review, and some quality work, and heading up that department. And um, Mr. Moss came and visited me one day and said, look, we're getting ready to have a couple of uh, vice president roles that are going to be coming open. You're not going to be the first role that's filled, but... Um, the Quality Council, our Vice Presidents, that's what we call them, is Quality Council, has voted that you would fill the second VP role. And uh, unbeknownst to me at that time, it was uh, Mr. Whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Ron Davis, um, great, great guy, uh, announced that he was retiring. And so the last four or five months that he was still um, a vice president working up to his retirement. Uh, I got to work with him and get to see the role, see how he did things, and uh, get to know the people that I would be leading. And he was able to shepherd me, if you will, mm -hmm. for those few months before he retired in January of 2001. Mm -hmm. And that started my vice president role mm -hmm. and have been um, just extremely blessed since 2001 uh, under the leadership of Moss and others, mm -hmm. Bobby Arnold, um, to uh, have worked with a great team, be able to learn the ins and outs and uh, many departments that uh, I never would have had the opportunity of getting to know and mm -hmm. digging in. Moss had a deal where he would periodically go fishing on Fridays, and we always dreaded that because whenever he goes fishing, he would always come back with all these <laughs> ideas and concepts <laughs> and things we should be doing, ch changes that we would do. And one thing we accused him of is, about every three to five years, he would do what we call just flip the place upside down, the leadership roles upside down. Mm -hmm. 
And if you had been managing these five departments, now all of a sudden you were managing, leading five other departments. And, you know, it was stressful, but it really kept you on your toes. It made you learn Mm -hmm. uh, other areas outside of what you would traditionally be thinking of. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was through that, uh, myself as well as the other vice presidents got to experience a lot of leadership Mm -hmm. um, and understand different departments throughout the organization. Be careful. You know, when you say, well, if I had that department, I would have them doing so-and-so, so-and-so, yeah. because, you know, three you or four years that. after that, you might <laughs> you might definitely have that. And so you really got to experience a large percentage of the hospital services before leading up to you becoming CEO. Yes, yes. And uh, working with some dynamic vice presidents, um, dynamic CEOs um, had the opportunity to become the chief operating officer like in 2009 and um, I had worked under a great chief operating officer Brad Balkum leading up to that time and being able to have that role and assume that role and work with the other leaders of the organization it was absolutely just like the pinnacle if you will of um, my leadership career my healthcare career mm-hmm. and then uh, in 2009 uh, Bobby Arnold assumed the role as CEO mm-hmm. and um, just had a great opportun- opportunity and time working together leading which has traditionally been and still is the largest employer of all 20 counties, 20, yeah, 20 counties of West Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's head into a break. This will be a good opportunity to head to the break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about the largest employer in West Tennessee. So between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is R. Jackson. And we're back with J, uh, JR, uh, James Ross. He's the president and CEO of West Tennessee Healthcare. So, uh, JR, how, tell me about West Tennessee Healthcare. West Tennessee Healthcare. So, West Tennessee Healthcare was born out of really Jackson Madison County General Hospital um, back in the 80s. And uh, of course, Jackson General was born originally birthed in 1950 and had uh, the coming, that's really a neat story of having some hospitals that agreed to close. There were like four hospitals located around Jackson that agreed to close so that Jackson Madison County General Hospital could, uh, could come into effect. And Mayor George Smith went out and looked for some property and founded, which at that time it was out in the Corn country. Fields, right? Yeah, cotton field, and decided that was where the hospital would be built. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jackson General continued to grow, and uh, actually it was with Moss. Moss came on board in 1982, and under Lacey Williams, 
uh, as the CEO, Moss saw this need for us to be able to, you know, back then, probably 60% of our patients were being sent to Memphis and Nashville for health care. And so Moss saw this great opportunity for us to continue to grow Jackson General and be much more of a West Tennessee healthcare system mm-hmm. of services. And, you know, whether it's home health services, hospice services, whether it's uh, the acquisition of other community hospitals located around West Tennessee, continuing to deal with primary care physicians, um, creating a network of, of, uh, of ambulance services. Um, it, it really just became, uh, uh, West Jackson General became the flagship hospital mm-hmm. of West Tennessee Healthcare. And all of these services grew under this umbrella of West Tennessee Healthcare. And uh, today we have over 5,800 employees. We'll do uh, every two week payroll of about 5,000 full time equivalents. Um, and we have services in 18, 20 counties all across West Tennessee. We consider our service market everything outside of Shelby. Tipton and Fayette counties, mm-hmm. and because those two are close enough to go to Shelby, yeah, they're close enough to go to go to Memphis for their health care. And you know, as I look back and think about it, it's a, it's it was really visionary for us to have these types of services. Whether it's behavioral health, we have eleven, fifteen different behavioral health locations across West Tennessee. We have. 15 different physical therapy outpatient clinics uh, across West Tennessee. Um, All of those services you really don't think about Mm -hmm. located in Union City or um, um, Paris and so forth where we've been able to grow and help provide the health care in those areas. And granted, we've been blessed by great employees and great community support through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, we think a lot about we're owned by Jackson and Madison County, mm-hmm. by both governments. But uh, our governments, our our leaders have seen and blessed the opportunity for us to grow outside of Jackson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, be able to secure um, many, many jobs has been a huge economic driver mm-hmm. for 18, 20 counties of West Tennessee. Yeah, and providing services to those counties that may not necessarily have those, right? That's correct. When you look at the hospitals that have closed in the past five years or so, you know, we actually closed uh, one hospital in Trenton. And we closed the inpatient unit in Humboldt, but we kept the emergency room in Humboldt, and we kept Milan General Hospital, and we increased or beefed up the services at Milan General Hospital, beefed up the emergency room services at Humboldt, mm-hmm. and then in Trenton, we built um, 
a beautiful state-of-the-art uh, clinic that has ex extended hours. It has a pharmacy. It has um, it has physical therapy services there, and we also have space for doctors to come and see patients that say patients from having to drive from Trenton to Jackson. Mm -hmm. We have different different physicians, whether it's orthopedics and uh, GI physicians that are able to go over there and see patients um, on a day-in, day-out basis, or cardiology. And, but anyway, it saves those patients from mm -hmm. having to drive mm -hmm. that far. And that was kind of a commitment that we made when we closed that hospital in Trenton. Mm -hmm. Same thing in Humboldt. Humboldt still has physical therapy, has a beautiful um, meeting space where different civic organizations uh, come together and meet. Uh, the Strawberry Festival Governor's Luncheon is held there. and uh, We provide that as well as diagnostic services, x-ray, CT, and a phenomenal ER mm -hmm. services. And, just recently, we opened a mother's love that helps pregnant moms who might be addicted mm -hmm. to opioids or other drugs. Uh, we will be working with them through Aspel Manor and our behavioral health providers at Pathways to help these moms transition off of drugs. Yeah and hopefully be able to deliver healthier babies whenever it comes time. It's a residential location. So all of, you know, it's, it's, it's those types of services that many times people forget mm -hmm. that we provide mm -hmm. um, or don't know that we provide. And so what does, and this is probably a hard question, but what does the president and CEO do? Well... That's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, you, you start out um, having to shift gears as a CEO to think more about what the future holds, how to get us towards the future, how to navigate the waters that are so um, undetermined in this day and time. Mm -hmm. We're still waiting to understand some of the federal government's new laws and restrictions that they're getting that they're proposing to put out we're still trying to navigate um, health care changes that they're proposing or still working on and prepare ourselves so the CEO uh, should be spending time thinking about those things and thinking about services that may be cut Mm -hmm. Or uh, how do we continue to provide to those patients that even though we've cut the funding or um, the government is proposing changes, how we will continue to service patients and constituents in those mm -hmm. different areas. Mm -hmm. So that is that is a lot of it. But, you know, today I'm still functioning in our, with our, as our chief operating officer okay. too. So I, I wake up with both hats on each yeah. and every day, go to bed each night with both hats, and sometimes get up in the middle of the night and walk around and switch hat from mm -hmm. one to the other. But uh, I still love it. I really, really love what I do and 
people that I get to spend time with and you know we're West Tennessee and West Tennessee healthcare is extremely blessed mm-hmm. to have 5,800 dedicated empo- dedicated employees and some 12 uh, different vice presidents that oversee that 5,800 probably 115 department directors that are working with uh, employees throughout the organization each mm-hmm. and every day. It uh, The CEO spends time um, traveling to Nashville. Our hospital association is based in Nashville. We have I get to sit on the board for that hospital association. I also get to sit on the Hospital Alliance of Tennessee board and that uh, is really the nonprofit hospitals yeah. throughout Tennessee and listen to both of those different organizations and how we're going to navigate uh, the future of healthcare. And I've been privileged, uh, even as a COO, to be appointed to the American Hospital Association, our national hospital association on the policy board Mm. and so helping give uh, information and try to influence our legislators nationally on healthcare topics yeah so what does a day in life look like it sounds like a lot of meetings it is it is but um the great thing about it is like i said the leadership team that we have empowering those leaders to make decisions and I might know something that's going to happen in the future or something legislatively or uh, some component that I'm working on maybe uh, for the future of the organization and just being able to sit back and give some general guidance uh, not necessarily have to get in the weeds Mm -hmm. and I enjoy listening to what's going on because that keeps keeps me engaged and mm-hmm. still keeps me close. Um, probably do that more than necessary, but let's just say I'm nosy about <laughs> what's going on in, in the organization, but very trusting of those that are there. I might give a little tidbit, have you ever thought about this, or mm-hmm. make sure you contact these folks but um, yeah it starts out early most mornings seven o'clock and a lot of evenings we don't get out until like 6 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told this phrase a long time ago we doze but we never close so it's 24 mm-hmm. 7 um, every day of the year mm-hmm. and we're not fortunate like a lot of industry where we shut down for a couple of weeks and clean our equipment we have to do all that on the fly Mm, yeah uh well let's head into uh the second break and we'll come back and talk about the future because that's what you do and part of your job so so from our front porch to yours this is our jackson home And we're back with uh, 
the president and CEO of West Tennessee Healthcare, JR or James Ross. Um, is the R in JR Ross or is there another? It's Ross. Okay, yeah. so it's yeah. so it's first name last name. Yeah, not yeah. first name middle. Okay, gotcha. It's funny how that came about. Um, when I became a vice president, there were several Jameses. Mm-hmm. So Jim Moss's uh, given name is James Moss. There was a, another James Allen. There was a, a James uh, Dawkins, and I was the last guy on the scene, James Ross. So they just kind of threw Jr. and that would be my name. And so that's a relatively recent thing. In the past, well, uh, since what two thousand and one? Yeah, two thousand. So that's not like you didn't grow up as Jr. No, no. Interesting. Yeah. Never. So usually when someone has a nickname like that, it's like something they've brought up with them, you know, the whole way. That actually grew out of the hospital system. Man, uh, your life has been firmly imprinted on by this (laughs) hospital. Um, So, okay, so we talked about this a little bit, you know, talking about the future is part of your job and thinking about that. What are some things that you see that are concerning or some things that may be trouble uh, moving forward for West Tennessee Healthcare? When you look at, there's, you know, there's several, but when you look at the number of hospital closures that have happened, mm-hmm. uh, Fayette County Hospital closed, Selmer Hospital closed, the two hospitals that I mentioned, uh, Gibson General, Humboldt General, uh, believe it or not, South Fulton uh, or Fulton Hospital closed, Haywood County Hospital closed. Uh, when you look at that, whether it was those closures or it was um, just part of the, the healthcare arena and concerns about healthcare, our census has gone up at Jackson General. Which means the number of patients, right? Right. The number of patients that we take care of has gone up to the point of, uh, you know, in 2008, we built a brand new bed tower. It's called the A Tower. Uh, the new front entrance of the hospital is part of that. Before that, the bed tower, the latest edition of a bed tower is 1986. We opened a, a, the B Tower, as we affectionately call it. And prior to that was 1976, when the C Tower or the North Tower was built. So you, you think about that, and uh, that hospital was you know, built to be 500 plus beds. Now we're licensed for 642 beds. The A Tower was a replacement for the C Tower. But even now, we're still utilizing a lot of the floors Mm -hmm. on the C Tower because our census has gone up. And so uh, whether that's because of emergency room volume or transfers, to our hospital from communities that hospitals closed or just transfers uh, from other hospitals to, uh, if you will, a tertiary care type facility like Jackson General, our census has risen. And so that's created a a higher demand on nursing staff, Mm -hmm. everything, laundry, uh, I mean food, drugs, exactly. And so that 
that's something that we're looking at and trying to decide how do we deal with that in the days, Mm -hmm. months, and years to come. Uh, We need to remodel some floors. And so trying to keep our floors and our infrastructure up to date. uh, I can't imagine that's an easy thing. It's not. Because you have to have it in action, right? And then like almost like room by room maybe update it. Well, we're fortunate that we still have the C Tower, which is the North Tower. And so we'll take a floor and move that floor to the C Tower, Mm -hmm. which is smaller rooms, uh, very long hallways. But we need to do that so that we can keep the patient experience what it needs to be, keep keep those rooms up to um, the standards that we would want our patients to have and behold and then you know our emergency room Jackson General's emergency room was built uh, around 65 it was designed for 65,000 visits Uh, today we're seeing a hundred and three plus thousand visits in a design 65,000 space I was there a few weeks ago, and we didn't have like a medical emergency, and so it it took us a while to be seen. Mm-hmm. And and I guess the volume is just a big part of that. And that's a hard thing for people to understand is that we triage according to um, the most critical. Mm-hmm. And you know, people will come in and say, "Well, I was here before that person was taken back," or, and then. A lot of people that walk in do not get to see the number of ambulances that we have come in, or the number coming through the same door. That's correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the number of helicopters that we have, mm-hmm. you know, we might have twenty-five helicopters in one day, and we'll have seventy-five ambulances that will come to our to our ER mm-hmm. in one day, and then you add on top of that, we have people that walk through the doors. And it's not like we can stage them to walk in. They, yeah. you know, we we we've had many situations where we've had over thirty people walk through the door in sixty minutes. So you you take that and layer that on to the ambulances, mm-hmm. to the helicopters that are coming in. It is a huge huge effort to coordinate that to make sure that you triage appropriately. And we've, we work really, really hard on that. We don't hear as much about people having to wait as long as what they mm-hmm. used to complain and be concerned about. I think a lot of things have helped that. We've worked on our throughput. Our physicians have added uh, more providers to help in that arena. and. We've really worked to make sure that whether it's x-ray, lab, or seeing a provider, that all of that is uh, in as expedient of a fashion as we possibly can. But it was constructed for half 65,000. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when we went from 65 to 85,000, that was a stretch. Mm-hmm. Now the fact that we're seeing 100 plus thousand visits in that emergency department it it still blows blows my mind Mm -hmm. but the dedication of the staff the work effort of the staff our efforts to keep patients 
as comfortable and as informed as they possibly can while all of the other stuff is going on in the background Mm -hmm. has been a huge feat but a a large effort by all of us uh, trying to make that happen and deal with that volume so with that Mm -hmm. you know you're we're concerned about you know other hospitals across west tennessee how do we support hospitals like paris tennessee savannah tennessee and make sure that those hospitals survive we have a great working relationship with union city and huntington they're of the baptist health system uh, but that ceo and myself stay in very close contact yeah because if one of those close you're looking at another yeah. 20,000, I don't know, visits to the ER. You're looking at a huge increase yeah. that would be coming to yeah. our facility. Or at least it would be the closest facility to come to. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a huge thing that our leadership team works on every single day. It's trying to meet the needs and exceed the needs yeah. and expectations of the patients that we serve. What's exciting coming down the way? Well, you know, being able to think about um, our cancer program continues to grow and have different specialties, genetics and so forth that we've had there. Um, We're trying to grow that model. We had a great geneticist that's been working with us and because of family scenario, she's moving away, but we have some others that we're looking at bringing on board, looking at um, some, if you will, subspecialties for cancer mm-hmm. that we would like to bring to Jackson. Um, that is exciting to keep our patients from having to travel to Vanderbilt or Memphis mm-hmm. for those subspecialties. In the heart program, we've got a, a great group of community folks that have come together and started Friends of Heart. That's a uh, foundation fund. They're raising funds uh, to help us with technology. Recently we purchased, and with their help of the foundation, we were able to purchase a cardiovascular robot that uh, is able to place stents in the coronary arteries within millimeters or fractions of millimeters and being able to do that with such precision versus the old way and the old technology of black and white screens uh, that has been phenomenal uh, seeing our physicians whether it's cardiologist or cardiovascular docs being able to come up with new technologies safer ways of extracting clots uh, in your carotids and um, other areas of your body has been really great. People don't know we have three different, well now four with with the coronary robot, but we have three other robots that are utilized in surgery for uh, GYN surgery, other abdominal surgeries, uh, prostate surgery, Uh, We continue to grow that program and uh, the training of our surgeons in that area. And the robot, you think about it, sometimes that's fearful, but being able to 
decrease blood loss, be able to see things and visualize things and not have to do as large of an incision, mm -hmm. uh, that's really exciting for us. Yeah. We have, uh, this is great for our employees and uh, as I call our millennial employees, uh, we're having, we're bringing in Starbucks okay. to the, to Jackson General and uh, we're going to renovate an area right outside of our cafeteria and have a full service, full franchise Starbucks. Yeah. And uh, people are saying, well, why are you worried about coffee in the healthcare arena? Well, there's three main reasons. One, our visitors ask for it. Mm -hmm. They love the Starbucks. Second, um, our employees ask for it. Yeah. And then the third thing, it's our millennials really like Starbucks, that atmosphere where they yeah. can go and get away from the stress of the daily work and mm -hmm. relax their minds, check their social media on their break time. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, it's really really neat. So we're doing that. Our physicians, uh, a lot of them love Starbucks. So we're excited about yeah. that. I'm sure when you made that, you became the most popular guy at West Sissy Health. Well, it it did help. It did help. <laughs> well, James, uh, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for helping to make Jackson a better place and choosing to call it home. And uh, it's so great to be able to share our story and tell a little bit of the inside of what goes on each and every day and I really appreciate you uh, making this happen and making just another medium available for people to hear and become educated about what goes on not only at West Tennessee Healthcare but our community in general so thanks a bunch for having me. Thank you. Today's podcast was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Code. To find out more about The Code, visit their website at www.atthecode.com. To find out more about our Jackson home and to read about how amazing Jackson is, visit ourjacksonhome.com.